Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Noob School. Uh, John Sterling here, and today I've got my good friend, longtime friend, Dirk Piper. Thank you for being here, Dirk. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course. Uh, uh, among other things, Dirk is the CEO of Sage, which is one of the largest uh, suppliers of interiors to the automotive space. Is that correct? That is correct. That's not bad. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. So Dirk uh, has a, a fascinating story. I mean, I'm telling you, it's fascinating. I've gotten to watch it myself. It has a lot to do with what happened in 2008 and 2009, but also about all the preparation <clears throat> in his kind of skill development and experience that made him ready for it. Um, so anyway, we're going to get to that. But let's, let's start at the beginning, Dirk. Um, Grew up in Baltimore. That's right. Baltimore, okay. Mm -hmm. And you went to St. Paul's? I did. Prep school? I did. What was it like going to prep school? Well, you know, it was kind of a unique situation for us. I was the youngest of six, uh -huh. um, and my mother happened to be the uh, the librarian. Uh -huh. And uh, that, that was really what our choice was, was yeah. to attend St. Paul's because okay. uh, yeah. she was the librarian there. So okay. all six of us went to school there. Wow. Um, and it was uh, only uh, really three miles from my house, so okay. it was very convenient. Okay. Very, uh, it's, it's changed a lot. You know, when I was there, it was more, uh, it, was, it was a small school that was located in an old uh, mansion that uh -huh. had been redone and built into classrooms, and now it's uh, probably bigger than where I went to university. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <clears throat> and And – it's, did, it, did you did you live off campus or? I mean, yeah, yeah. On I, campus? I, I just every whenever I was a day student. Day student. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's sure. good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I've always heard that's a great school, and then you you decided to go to Washington and Lee. I did. There. I did. What was your What was your small group of colleges you were considering? Well, you know, I, at that time uh, I was uh, playing lacrosse at, uh, at at St. Paul's, so I was interested in a lacrosse school. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, probably on the, on the high end of the reach was, uh, Cornell mm -hmm. university, mm -hmm. uh, visited there, but it was way too cold. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and the WNL was in the mix, uh, UVA was in the mix, mm -hmm. uh, and then, a, a small school in, uh, in Ohio that not many people probably know, Denison. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah Denison yeah. college yeah. back then. Uh, they had a pretty good program <clears> and, uh, but anyway, I decided to go, uh, to Lexington, to Washington and Lee and, uh, it was a great school. Worked out really, really well. Yeah. Uh, great community uh -huh. at WNL. Yeah. Good experience. Yeah. And beautiful uh, country there. It is a beautiful, rich. beautiful place. All the people I know that went there, kind of good, well-rounded people, you know, good character. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a great school. Yeah, right they got a strong alumni for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. My, my uh, I guess my – Cousin's husband is named Charlie Tom. Okay. You know Charlie? He I might don't have know. been a little bit older than you, but yeah. he's been on the alumni relation things there. But he's he's done real well in Florida. A there, of there's a pretty big community here in Greenville. Yeah. WNL. Yeah. Brads. And particularly South Carolina, for sure. Um, if somebody was, was listening to this, and what, some, one of our, our, our youngsters here, what would you tell them going to WNL is like? Um, you know, I, I think that. Uh, First, uh, from an academic perspective, uh, you know, it's, it's a fairly rigorous program. Mm -hmm. It's also, I think, 
what I appreciated was it was very well rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the advantages that I had of going to WNL, coming out and, and starting to work with a big company like Milliken, mm-hmm. I was very well prepared in terms of how to write letters, believe mm-hmm. it or not, which mm-hmm. we had to do prior to email. Yeah. Um, and, and ensure, you know, uh, that, that the grammar was correct. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's amazing how that school was, was very well rounded in terms of you know, preparing you for that side right. and demanding that you have that. But also, uh, you know, I was a chemistry major um, and uh, had a very, very strong chemistry department. Mm-hmm. So, but it was balanced. You mm-hmm. know, I'd say that the experience was balanced, and that's why it gives you a good overall education, not to where you're just, you know, targeting chemistry and, right. you, and you take, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's truly a liberal arts school mm-hmm. where you get a good opportunity. How, where did the chemistry come from? Why did you want to do that? Well, you know, my, uh, my grandfather uh, was a chemist mm-hmm. uh, for a company back in the day called, it was called Armstrong Cork back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he was around when they uh, created uh, linoleum, okay. if you will. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was just always fascinated by it and, you know, the, the background that, that he had there and, um, I think it also allows you uh, to think analytically sometimes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. having that kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, that and, and math, I think, are, are similar in, in you know, giving you that kind of discipline to where you can look at things analytically and, yeah. and make some good decisions. Yeah. Interesting. It seems like when I look at the tech leaders today, <clears throat> not all of them, but most of them are people who certainly have the engineering background which so many of them do but they have that but they also have you know the well-rounded background where they can talk to the press and think about sales and marketing and what consumers want and you know that kind of softer stuff yes but also have this yeah um yeah well i i think you know as as one of the one of the items i'd point out is i you know as i went through my career at millican you know it was very interesting because to your point there are many times that you'd have a very qualified individual, but, you know, you could change their position in the company and it could be close to a disaster, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I always liked uh, the comments that we'd have, you know, cause we go through these year in reviews and, you know, Tom Malone, uh, who was then the COO would, would always make a point of, you know, let's be careful about saying that that person's not capable or not a good person, we may very well have them in the wrong type of position. Mm-hmm. And there were so many times in the company where we would, you know, you put somebody in a position that they weren't, even though on paper it said they were outfitted to management, they really weren't because mm-hmm. of their skills. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could put them back in another position and they'd flourish. But you'd see people, you know, in a group of 10 be one of 10 and they get moved to another group, they could be eight next year. Mm-hmm. Um, very yeah. interesting, but yeah. always taking a look at making sure you got people in a position that they're best suited for. And so you're getting out of Washington Lee, chemistry degree, great school, great degree. And you, you picked Milliken. Mm -hmm. What other companies were you looking at? Um, you know, I actually was, uh, seriously considering going to graduate school, Mm -hmm. um, uh, primarily at Emory university. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting story. I was, playing lacrosse and of course my father uh came down and broke the news to me that lacrosse didn't pay a whole lot of money <laughs> and uh that I needed to uh need to start to look around and of course I I had was seriously considering graduate school but Milliken came on campus and uh and and interviewed uh and it really kind of changed my direction in terms of what I wanted to do yeah. so I, I switched from 
graduate school because I actually came down here a couple times and visited and, and was fascinated by mm -hmm. the manufacturing and the, the company. And, uh, you know, also I, I felt like, uh, you know, having grown up in Baltimore, I wanted to experience something. I always, I always tell my, my kids and their peer group, you know, I, I went pioneering, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. packed up my car from Baltimore, uh, and, uh, came down to South Carolina to Greenville where I'd never been before. Yeah. And, uh, Walked up the steps at the Gailey Mill back in August 27th, 1979, yeah. and it was quite an experience, you know. So, uh, so really, I'd thought about graduate school primarily, but then when I interviewed with Millican on campus, I absolutely fell in love with it. So I didn't look at a whole lot of different got it, places. Got it. Yeah. Well, you didn't need to. It's a great, great company. I mean, I don't know many companies that are more like long-term approach focused. Yeah, for long -term, sure. Long-term, let's do what's best for the long-term yeah. Of the company. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, the vision that, uh, that Roger Milliken had and certainly has instilled in the, the board as it stands today was uh, definitely the diversification of the company that he did. Mm -hmm. Very, very clever move mm -hmm. uh, to move into, you know, where it was primarily, you know, when I started, it was significantly textiles. Yeah. Um, but they, he had started and had the vision to branch out into the chemical business, into nuclear agents, and uh, and also into carpet, you know, and that really gave yeah. a good balanced portfolio. Yeah. And textiles really took quite a dip, but now it's actually back. It's probably one of the strongest. It's unreal. Uh, yeah, with the repatriating and, you know, the consistency that's going on, it's strong. So how much uh, time did you spend with Mr. Milliken? You know, I would say uh, as I uh, probably after about, Seven or eight years, you know, I always had the opportunity on in the quarterly meetings to present to Mr. Milliken, um, and uh, and had a lot of opportunity. Probably my closest opportunities were when I uh, spent four years over in Europe, mm -hmm. um, and there was always a situation where Mr. Milliken he would come in on a Sunday, um, and so I had the responsibility to pick him up at the airport and kind of spend the week with him. Mm. Um, so I came pretty close to him at that point, and then I would say uh, down the stretch of the acquisition of the automotive group, mm -hmm. um, certainly uh, got to know him fairly well during that period as well. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. But, a, but a, just a super gentleman, and what a businessman. Yeah. 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 yeah just terrific. How did that whole thing start? I mean, did he start it, or was it like? No, no, he was third generation. Third generation. Yeah, yeah. His uh, his uh, grandfather Garish had started it. It was a, uh, believe it or not, a, a trading store in Minot, Maine, <laughs> and uh, you know, in the guest house, the Millican guest house, they actually have the original books, the yeah. trading books of you know four bags of potatoes yeah. and how much it costs and. And then they got into the, the woolen business yeah. in New England. Yeah. And then ultimately, uh, you know, Roger Milliken is the one that actually moved them down here uh, to Spartanburg. For the, and, and for, the, for, the, for the labor and the weather and all that stuff? 100%. Yeah. Primarily for labor yeah. and uh, non-union. Yeah. He was very strong about that. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, it's just amazing, though. He's, they started as a, as a trading shop in New England and then become incredible. something completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, think about um, Michelin, same way. You know, yeah. two, two guys in a bicycle shop yeah. in France. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's visionary. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think the message I always get from that is that you kind of need to be in the game to make something happen. 
Yeah. You know, just talking about it's not enough. But if you're you're kind of in the game and you've got something started, even if it's not the exact right thing, you know, if you stay at it long enough, who knows? Yeah. Well, you, you you figure it out, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a that's always an opportunity is to to diversify. I mean, it's basically you know what what we had to do at at Sage was a lot of you know what Roger Milliken had taught us, right? So right. we were primarily a textile manufacturer of automotive seating, right? Um, and you know, ninety five percent of what we did was here in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's about forty two percent. So mm-hmm. so you know. He had taught us to have the vision to grow globally, but then also product uh, diversity. So we're now manufacturing, you know, synthetic suede's and and synthetic leather and uh, headliners and mm-hmm. the whole interior. So because mm-hmm. if we had just stayed with a narrow focus and and just textiles, uh, you know, we we would have really be in a spiral. Right. You know, just right. diminished revenue, and you know that's. Cutting your way to profitability is is not my motto. Right. You know. Right. Um, I'm a big believer in growing. I, I love it. Plus, you, in your business, I don't think you can just. I mean, you have so much capital costs. Like in a software business, you just cut people. It's like, well, right. Expenses are gone now. But in your business, you already have all these fixed expenses. That's right. Can't cut yeah. it the same way. You can't cut it. That's right. Yeah. You know, I've never. It's it. That's a, as you know, and you, you study a lot of these different. Uh, business cases. I mean, uh, you know, I always told our people every year, you know, if we're not growing, we're dying. Because uh-huh. um, I've never seen a, a, a business be successful that just tried to cut their way to profitability the whole time. It just doesn't no, work. Not, not for long. Um, no. For long. Well, you can get short-term results. <laughs> yeah. Get short-term results. So you started there in 79. Uh-huh. Give us just the highlights of your different jobs and responsibilities you had up until, let's say, 2000 and yeah, so, uh, so you know, I spent the first 15 years in manufacturing, right? And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, of course, was a plant manager, you know, was probably the first major role I had where, you know, I'd be presenting to Mr. Milliken. And then, uh, and then I moved on to director of manufacturing um, and, uh, you know, ran all the automotive manufacturing. And then I got my first opportunity uh, – in business, mm-hmm. and I became uh, in early 1990 the uh, Ford Global Business Manager. Okay. Um, so managing all the Ford business, and and uh, that that was a pretty incredible learning experience for a guy that had spent 15 years of manufacturing. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the points that I would <laughs> make today is, uh, you know, that would that was a, a real learning experience, mm-hmm. and and I I had a few hard knocks in that job because. You know, I, I didn't quite understand what I understand today, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, of course, when you're young, that coming out of manufacturing, you have all the answers. Right. Well, give us an example. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. It's not <laughs> one that I'm real proud of. but uh, We won't tell anyone. It's one that, I've, uh, that I certainly learned, uh-huh. um, and, it, and it really has been very helpful for me. But So I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, of course, with automotive companies, there's always an annual uh, – you know, price reduction or cost give back, right? APRs is what we call it. Okay. Well, I had a very uh, aggressive uh, purchasing uh, director at Ford, um, you know, who was insisting on a certain amount of yeah. uh, recovery. Well, um, you know, we had developed a plan by switching some products, et cetera, 
um, that we were going to save them a significant amount of money um, without damaging our profitability, you know, because that, uh, that was important to maintain that. Um, what I failed to do uh, was I failed to listen and really understand what his uh, performance measurements were mm -hmm. and how his performance measurements were calculated. Mm -hmm. um, so as it turned out, uh, you know, he was rated on, on, on what they called non-engineering uh, type cost reductions. And of course, we'd given him a significant amount of engineering cost reductions, right. and uh, we didn't meet his target. Mm -hmm. And we actually got uh, put out of Ford for two years oh. on moratorium oh. of no new business. So that was a real eye-opener. You yeah. talk about a sick feeling flying back on the plane from Detroit to Greenville. Well. Um, but, you know, what I'd say was important about that is, uh, you know, I, I probably was uh, upset with myself for a period of time, but, but I chose to learn from that experience and really try to understand yeah. what I had done wrong. And I can tell you that mistake, which at the time seemed almost fatal to me mm -hmm. uh, and fatal for my career, I thought, uh, you know, uh, it, it turned out to be the greatest learning experience because now, over time, having developed relationships with people across so many different OEMs, you know, I concentrate first on understanding, you know, what their performance measurements are. Right, right. And you really want to make those people successful. Yes. And it's not just your calculation. Yes. You yes. got to make sure you understand it in their terms. Right. So, yeah, it was a... Uh, that's a great lesson, Dirk. That's it, such a great lesson. It's such a great way you handled it. Well, at the time, I was a little bit concerned. You have, you have a couple of <laughs> drinks on the way home? <laughs> I don't know. I think I was stunned. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean to, to, just to reiterate for, the, for the, the school, you know, Dirk's lesson learned was just because he, he, the contract looked good from his perspective and the guy signed it, it still didn't make it a good overall deal. Because right. when, when Dirk won, this guy really lost. And he had other things he could do to Dirk. Yes. They weren't even on that piece of paper. That's right. And and you have to remember that, particularly with these big, big companies. And the other thing that's weird about it is you could have, it sounds like you could have arranged it where you could have given him those things. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And, 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 and since that, uh, that learning experience... Yeah. Um, you know, been able to orchestrate many, many, many deals with different OEMs and, and enjoyed a lot of success, right. you know, which has allowed us to become the largest, right? Yeah. So we always wanted to be the number one preferred, mm -hmm. not necessarily number one. Yeah. Because what that meant was when anybody thought about automotive interiors, they thought about Sage, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just so happens that that philosophy and always treating our customer right and never breaking a promise you know, allowed us to grow the business to where we where we became the largest. Unreal. Number one in the world. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's unreal. So one other question I've got is if you're dealing with, uh, let's say, an Asian country, and they won't tell you that information. Like I've, I've found in dealing with them, it's just they're, they're less likely to come out and just say, this is what I want. Yeah. How do you handle that? Well... Uh, there, there's no question that am I right? You, you are, you are okay. absolutely correct. And in fact, you know, because Sage uh, is an American company, uh, 
you know, and even before that, when we were with Milliken, you know, trying to get business with the Japanese OEMs was very difficult. Um, fortunately, we've been successful. Um, but to your point, uh, it would even be expressed in a terminology because at first we used to have to have trading companies with us all the time. Mm -hmm. And the purchasing people would even really look at you and say, well, tell me why you're here, <laughs> you know, because we really don't need you <laughs> to be here because I've got my trading company that I'd really rather deal with. Yeah. Um, so, so the way that, that we worked through that situation is um, across all the different functional areas in a big OEM like a Toyota, um, we, we would uh, build relationships, right? So where, where the purchasing uh, folks might hold it close to their chest, mm -hmm. you know, you'd start to glean different amounts of information uh, out of, let's say, engineering or, um, you know, product planning or the different uh, areas that you dealt with, and they'd start to give you some information about uh, what was going on. But, you know, one of the things I'd say, John, is that I've learned throughout my career is building relationships and trust with people uh, goes a long way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just consistently being in a position to where you develop a relationship. So, yeah. you know, I've been to Japan 72 times <laughs> to develop, to, to spend time, you know, having yeah. dinner, yeah. karaoke, and just continual... Uh, persistence, if you will, yeah. relentless pursuit of, you know, look, we want to be a supplier. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I'd say that it's probably taken 15 years minimum, but we're finally, you know, there. But when they hold the information close to the vest, I think you, you got to go lateral to different functional areas and try to find out information. Gotcha. Go, go around. Correct. That's get, unbelievable. 72 times so far. And you got two more trips coming up? Yeah, oh yeah. Coming yeah. up next next year? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Been working on my Japanese karaoke. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, what's your go-to song over there? Uh, it's called Kitasaba. Kitasaba. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So they don't play like like ACDC or oh, something? Oh, yeah. We okay. do that, too. Okay. They, right. they love that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They you like know, to stay up late and well, drink cold white wine and... You know, well, sake is good. Yeah. yeah but... Uh, they like they really like Suntory whiskey. Suntory whiskey. Yeah, they make their own whiskey. It's pretty good whiskey. Okay. There. Yeah. Well. But they have the coldest beer in the world in Japan. No well, doubt. We 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 tried Japan, the Japan J Japanese market, uh -huh. uh, and this is how pitiful we were. Mm -hmm. We went three times and gave up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, first time they would just look at you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then the second time they said hello or something. And then, yeah, I mean, it was, we're, well, we gave up, you know, one of the, one of the items that, uh, that I would also recommend. And, you know, we, we had our, our, our team do it is it's always a good idea to read up on the culture right? <laughs> because, you know, the perception that, that we would have as, uh, as Westerners, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's part of their culture, but we don't understand it, which is, you know, they have this expression, the amai, which means basically they, they don't say a whole lot. It's just kind of they have a feeling about mm. the way that the, the meetings are going. And, it, and, and it's, it's not all black and white for mm -hmm. them, and mm -hmm. they don't prefer it. 
you know, in fact, before you even go to a meeting, the meeting's really already been decided mm-hmm. through all the Nemawashi, et cetera. But mm-hmm. so I, I read this book called The Japanese Mind and several other books that, that were that really helped in understanding. Yeah. So when I was in a meeting, you know, I wouldn't, you know, you you wouldn't say anything. Somebody would make a point and you'd just wait to say something, which all of a sudden made them realize that you started to understand their culture. Because our impulse is we gotta be saying something in the meeting or we're not doing anything. (laughs) But many times they will remain silent for an extended period of time. Yeah. And they're really kind of testing you. Well that happened to us. We had we had we had the guy show up. It was like the, the senior guy and the junior guy. Yep. We're sitting like way across the table. Oh yeah. And the senior guy is like leaning like this and his eyes are like shut and, and yeah. we're like, you know, we give up. We're done. We gave up like just two yeah. seconds into it. But yeah. that's what he was doing. Yeah. He wasn't Exa- feeling so good about it. Yeah. Yeah, they uh the, the tendency is definitely to uh to uh, kind of absorb the situation and you know, I, I, so I I'll tell you, it's I really recommend for, for people um, you know, we're, we're a great country, America, but, uh, be an expat somewhere and go out to a restaurant yeah. when, uh, Americans show up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden you get, a, you get a pretty good idea of how we're perceived in, yeah. in other cultures. Yeah. You know, an example is, you know, I, I'm, we're in the country where we're living in, uh, you know, uh, I hear the American coming in, what's wrong? Y'all didn't figure out how to invent ice, you know, and things like that, and comments like that. Yeah. It's not their culture, right? Yeah. And yeah. and it, it kind of makes you cringe, but you get that experience, and right. then it teaches you when you're around other cultures to be aware, right? you know, how we're perceived, because many times it's true the way we are, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is excellent. I, I, in, in the book, in my book, I rec- it's one of the things I recommend if the people have the time and the means is to, is to go around the world before yes. they start college. Yes. You know, work, travel, do whatever, stay in friends' houses, whatever you got to do, just do the, do the lap. Yeah. And you'll see that, you know, maybe ICE is a good way to do it here, but other places, they don't do it that way. That's right. You know, it's, it's okay. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to understand it in, in, in the guidelines. One of my one of my favorite stories is my, my friend in uh, – in Japan, you know, who I hired years ago, and we've, you know, been throughout it. You know, uh, I, I became very conscious of many of the customs, you know. But uh, so I had a big old apple, and we were on the train, and I looked over him. I said, Taka, I said, uh, you know, it's probably not really a good idea to eat this apple on the train, isn't it? And he said, Oh, it's okay, Dirk. They think you're a heathen anyway. So go ahead. <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah. you just got to know where your spot is yeah, and uh, yeah. where your position is. That's well, then you, you and I agree on that. And again, I, to all the people, the, the new school people, travel when you have a chance and, and get around the world. And it, it will help your, it helped me sell better in America when I got back. Yeah, 100%. So easy. Yeah. You know, comparatively, yeah. I thought just so much. Because people will just tell you. You ask them a question, they tell you the answer. You know, yeah. so um, we agree on that. So let's... Let's go ahead and get to 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. Mm-hmm. So you're you're running Sage. Actually, I was with Milliken. 
But I mean, but you were running Sage as a division of Millican, right? Yeah, but it wasn't Sage. What you was know? it called? It was the Millican Automotive Division. Okay, oh, yeah. I thought it called Sage. So you're running that, which essentially became Sage. Correct. And it was one of the big divisions of Millican. Sure. And it just served automotive, and that's when everyone announced that all the all the car makers around the world were all going out of business. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would say, uh, you know, uh, what what we actually had was, you know, the new leadership came in at, at Milliken, um, yeah, and uh, and of course we did a a, a full on uh, Boston consulting group yeah. study, and you know the old four box model, you know, you're either a cash generator or you're up in the right hand of proprietary, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, we were kind of right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would say going into 2008 when, when the dark clouds were forming, you know, it was kind of perceived that, well, you know, you can only have so many businesses that fit in a certain category. Mm-hmm. And so keep the performance textiles group and we'll sell the automotive division. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was tasked with, uh, with selling the division. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we created the SIM and uh, distributed it primarily to uh, a lot of our competitors and, you know, uh, we had, we had a lot of discussion, but you know, as as time went on, we, we were racing against time, yeah. and uh, the the storm clouds had really gotten quite heavy, and and nobody was interested in it. Yeah. Um, and of course, the 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 revenue had dropped significantly. Um, they, they they were some very difficult times mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, so then, what happened with that um, in mind? Uh, uh, a colleague of mine, um, you know, uh, approached me. I was running the group. He was in a strategic role in manufacturing. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, wouldn't this be a great business to buy? Um, and, you know, I give him a lot of credit for for certainly generating that idea, you know, because when you're in the heat of the action, you know, I mean, we were dealing with cash before delivery. We were dealing yeah. whether we were going to get paid. We had three customers on the verge of bankruptcy who had actually went bankrupt. Um, you know, so with, uh, Azalea Capital here in town, mm-hmm. uh, Jim McCauley and the, and the group, uh, you know, we, we made an approach to Milliken and, and got a, a letter of intent signed. Um, now as part of that deal, uh, that was in May and as part of that deal, uh, in order to incentivize us, uh, the CEO and CFO of, of Milliken uh, asked that, that we resign. Mm-hmm. So basically, <laughs> uh, we went. I went four months with four kids at Christ Church yeah. with no salary. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit hairy. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, uh, as you remember, as everybody remembers, the market was really upside down. Yeah. Uh, and so the normal model of, you know, getting this debt and maybe getting some mez debt and, well, we didn't get the money. Right. And we were literally, uh, you know, uh, I was very engaged in, in trying to secure the funding. Um, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, you know, we had 21 managers basically put their retirement in. We had Azalea that put in a certain amount of equity. Um, so hold on. You put you had twenty one managers, including yourself, yep. push in their Millican retirement right. into the deal. Brazilian uh-huh. Capital, local private equity company, right? And you're looking for that final gap money. Yeah. Okay. Which was pretty significant. Okay. 
it was about twice the amount we already uh, <laughs> had in there that we needed to meet okay. the Millican price point. Okay. Um, and and it, and things got pretty harrowing uh, from that perspective. And uh, it, this is a, you know, I can look back on it now and reflect. But uh, you know, I was literally traveling to every customer, even though I wasn't employed by Millican. You know, I had to explain to them we were doing a buyout. Oh yeah. Because one of the largest customers, like I said, you know, the decision had been made to put them on cash before delivery, and they were taking all of our business yeah. and giving it to a competitor. And I can remember to the day going up and having the meeting with them. I, I remember the individuals extremely well, and they've become great friends. I said, give us a chance, you know. And so they stopped taking away the business, and and, and we proved out we do it. But the, what they, a letter actually came out from, from Milligan that said, look, we're, we're going to shut the business down because it doesn't look like the cash has been achieved. And uh, Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I can remember, I, I often tell this story that, uh, you know, we made the presentation like we was doing. There were 66 banks in the room. <laughs> and uh, I made the presentation, and as, as soon as I used the word textiles and automotive, it was like turning a light on in a room full of cockroaches. They were, <laughs> they were gone, yeah, you yeah. know. And uh, we ended up, uh, at the literally at the at the at the twenty fourth hour, uh, getting a, an individual investor to invest in the company, mm-hmm. and and made the difference. Uh, I remember July twenty fourth to to this day, sitting in that parking lot, you know, praying that we would we would pull this thing off, and uh, nice. that individual liked the deal, and so then the fun began. Right, mm-hmm. we got the deal closed, um, you know, and we had to execute like within ninety days of getting the whole. Uh, Thing flipped over. We had no ERP system. Hmm. We were they cut hand, you off. We were handwriting checks. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a we had a no. They didn't cut us off, but we had a we facilitated a, a transaction agreement. You know, okay. uh, transaction services agreement. Um, but within one year, we had to develop our own ERP I system. I got you. Okay. Right. So we had a year. Okay. But I, I was pretty amazed with the people we had that they got all that done. And so, you know. Uh, we started up the company and very manually focused. Uh, but, you know, that's when we created the name Sage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we picked the name Sage was because of our top management group had, on average, about 24 years of experience mm. in automotive. And, and uh, so we were bringing wisdom to the automotive industry. Yeah. But the other part of Sage is, is the green part, um, you know, the herb uh, being the sustainable nature of the company. So okay. we created it. So, you know, from, from there, the, the rest is, is, is history. We've, we've grown significantly. Like I said, 95% of our business was in North America. Um, now about 42% is, mm-hmm. um, we're larger in Europe than we are here. Um, and then in Asia, we have a, a significant presence, but a lot of experience with doing M and A uh, and, and expanding, uh, outside of North America. It's, it's been, uh, we have, a, we have a fantastic team of people, and it's been very successful for us. That's fantastic. Well, it's just an unbelievable story. And, again, I think, you know, when people read, like, Forbes or Inc. or one of these magazines, and they read a success story like yours, they think, I want to do what he did. Yeah, I want to do that, you know, because it sounds really good. But it's, it's, the, it's the chemistry degree and the Washington Lee degree and all that time being a, a good up-and-coming executive mm-hmm. – in all those different things. So when it happened, you know, that with your, your sales skills and your determination, 
that allowed you took advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. But many others could could wouldn't have tried it or they couldn't have pulled it off. Yeah. You have to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. So you were ready, but it still was really hard. Yeah, and you got to have a lot of faith. Yeah. It's going to work out. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say the two to to your point that you're making. I I, I would say two key factors that if I look back and say, okay, one of them was, you know, not necessarily uh, being afraid to make some mistakes mm-hmm. and to learn from it. You know, I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's true, mm-hmm. especially the one I described for you at Ford. Yeah. Pretty significant mistake. Yeah. Thought it was a career-ending move at the time, but I learned a lot. Yeah. The the other is just what we were talking about, is I, I strongly encourage uh, people to take themselves out of their comfort zone right the move of moving the family uh to europe for four years uh was not real popular mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as they say you know you turn out if, if you're crying when you go over there and you're crying when you come back that means it's a success so yeah. so yeah. we ended up that way but yeah. uh but but certainly uh that that's a that's a challenge but i recommend it and for our entire family but particularly for me from a business perspective you know that that made all the difference in how i looked at situations right. and the risks I was willing to take uh, and just kind of an overall grasp of what was going on. Well, right? so happy for you. It's wonderful. But I want to ask you a couple of quick sales questions. Mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, you know, with all the different groups you've managed, what are some of the things that salespeople have done that made them great salespeople or they've, they've done that made them not make it? So, so I, I, I would say, uh, as it applies to our business, and I think in, in a lot of cases, those people that have been successful truly know the product or service that they're selling, mm-hmm. right? You, you, if you don't do your own internal homework and really know the product that you're selling and the services that come with it and the reliability that comes with it and really understand that and know that what you're saying is accurate, yeah. You're going to have a very difficult time, yeah. you know, and I, and I think if you get in a situation uh, where you get asked uh, some questions that are difficult, you don't know the answer. It's always best to come back and say, I'll get that answer for mm-hmm. you rather than wanting to act like you're the smartest guy in the room yeah. and have all the answers. Yeah. People respect much more when you say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you. Yeah. But the more you know about your product, because I've seen... Uh, where people have gotten themselves in a in a tight spot, uh, maybe by overselling some things that maybe were not exactly true about uh, the products. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm probably one of the most zealous, overzealous uh, people in terms of wanting to sell our product. But you, you have to be careful that you don't oversell it, mm-hmm. and you really understand it. Okay. Um, you know, I think the other the other factor is is as you call on on different people, you know. You really have to work diligently at trying to build the relationship, right? To know more about the people mm-hmm. that you're dealing with, uh, and and again, I go back to understanding what their performance metrics are, and making them understand either, you know, through telling them straight out or by your actions that you want to get them promoted mm-hmm. and you want to make them successful. Mm-hmm. Anytime somebody sees that, mm-hmm. they're going to want to work with you. Yeah. For sure. That's, that is so true. Yeah. I mean, that you can genuinely tell if you, that. If you believe that about someone, you're like, well, let's do some business then, because that's what I want too. Right. 
You know, right? We want the same thing, right? And but if, but if you if you're selling and you can indicate that you want to make that person successful, yeah, they're going to work with you. I love it. They're going to work with I you. But it. I also suggest you really understand your product or your service that you're selling because right. BSing doesn't get you there. You no, know? not no. anymore. No. no. Too much information available on the web to get away with too much anyway. Yeah, yeah. people can look up things right while you're in the meeting. <laughs> so, Dirk, uh, let's see. Two more questions. Uh-huh. What's your favorite word? My, my favorite word? You told me you were going to ask me this. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I... You know, I, I guess it's it's it, from my perspective, it's uh, I well, I, my favorite words or expression is, if you're not growing, you're dying. Okay, nice. That's my number one expression. I love it. If you're not growing, you're dying. That, that applies to a business, applies to people. Yeah, applies to everything. You know, the the always I always have an expression, uh, which I, I've I've tried to work through, and I believe in it very much myself you know a guy named Dennis Wheatley wrote these books way back when I was really figuring out but it's the theory of positive thinking you know and yeah never spend time worrying because worry is the misuse of your imagination absolutely yeah and there's so many people that worry they yeah. spend so much time worrying about what's you know they don't want to happen yeah. that it does happen absolutely yeah and I I, I strongly recommend that that positive outlook and think about where you want to be, right. you know, that's important. I love it. Well, I've certainly no- noticed that about you, our whole, our whole friendship, always a positive outlook. It's wonderful. And then lastly, um, what would you like to promote today to the listeners? Anything? Well, you know, one of the things I, and, and you and I were talking about this, you know, for Sage Automotive, uh, you know, we, we try to participate as, as actively as we can in the community. Right. Because there are not a lot of people here that can buy directly from us because we're 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 OEM directed. Yeah. Except my friends at BMW, they could purchase from us. <laughs> Oliver, I hope you're listening. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I think in the the charitable organizations that that we support here are Trees for Greenville. Okay. Um, we're we're a big supporter of that have been since day one of Sage because it aligns with our sustainability. Uh, we, we, because of the design aspect, you know, we're, we're a big supporter of, um, you know, the, uh, artist sphere that's here because that's important to us. And then also, uh, the, you know, the, the performing arts, uh, school out there at Wade Hampton, we actually, uh, started a, uh, a, uh, a textile, uh, uh, class out there Great. for you know and teaching automotive textiles but also textiles in general and so we so we got that started and then we're big supporters of the of the heart ball every great. year so that's so that's my promotion well that's John. wonderful that's wonderful we Absolutely. appreciate all you do for 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 those nonprofits and also for what you've you've done to make sage that's a great part of the community and um uh, i'm real proud of you and, and thanks for sharing with it well you, you thank you and thanks for I wish I'd have had this when I was starting out. So I had the too. opportunity. Me too. Uh, you know, a lot of us learned of the school of hard knocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is this is terrific. Good. Well, thank you. It's great. Appreciate it. Thank you. you. Okay. Thanks, John. Yes, sir. Always good All to right. see you. Good to see you. Enjoy our friendship. Right. Thank you. Did y'all, did y'all get that?